mean, the Lord can move on Christmas Sunday like he can any other Sunday in the year. Do you believe that? How many believe we could have revival this morning? Amen. Well, y'all are lame on me this morning. How many believe we could have revival this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't we raise our hands for a few minutes right now and usher in the presence of the Lord. Come on, just talk to him right now. Lord, we love you and we reach out to you, God. We're interested in coming close to you this morning. God, I pray that every single person in this building would be able to reach out and touch the hem of your garment for a few moments today and experience who you are and what you've done for us, God. Amen. Help us to get a revelation in the Word this morning over these next few moments of really what it is you did and who you are, why you came to this earth, how much you love us. Amen. And come near in this place and be with us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. And if you've got your Bible with you, you can turn with me to the book of Hebrews. It should also be in your bulletin if you've got that in front of you. We're going to read several scriptures this morning. And naturally on Christmas morning, we're just going to delve into the Christmas story. And we're going to study some prophecy. You know that there's a great, great amount of prophecy throughout the Bible of the coming of Jesus. There was an enormous amount of scriptures and there's still people today that don't believe he ever came. There's still people who hold strongly the belief that Jesus never showed up. Emmanuel never came. The virgin never gave birth. But in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, I'm going to kind of center around this verse. It's, the, the wording is interesting in this. I want you to read and, and look at what it says. But unto the Son, capital S, unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now let's look at Isaiah chapter 7. Of course, these are some very, very well-known scriptures, prophecy of the coming of Christ. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What's that sign going to be? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Well, this is some kind of person we're talking about here that's, that's on his way, right? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, 
And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save people from their sins. Why is he coming? What's this all about? When you see a colon like that, after somebody says something, it's going to explain to you why. Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Now pay attention to this, verse 22. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Talking about the prophet Isaiah. This is all fulfilling prophecy way back in the Old Testament saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That's a one God scripture, folks. Amen. The one that's coming, the Savior of the world, is going to have the name God with us. He's going to be here with us. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Everybody say good. Good. Of great joy. Everybody say great. Great. Which shall be to all. Everybody say all. All, all people. Good tidings, great joy to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is the good news. This is the good news that we share. This is why we believe so strongly what we believe. It's why there's people today who have sold everything out to Him and to living for Him is because... He died. He came and died for our sins. This is the gospel. He came and died for our sins, but not only that, He rose again. What a reason to give everything to God. You don't have a bad reason to live for God today. You've got a good reason to live for God. Amen. 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 And so... This is the story. Now, when we read these scriptures, your eyes have perused these scriptures a hundred times. You've probably heard them 50 times already this Christmas season in some way, shape, or fashion. You've seen them on decorations, the scriptures inscribed on things. You've heard it in songs. And it's so easy sometimes to just kind of blow past what all this is saying. You know, we can get kind of blasé about scripture. We can kind of uh, not really take to heart what is going on here because of how many times we've heard it. Anybody ever been reading in your Bible some scripture that you've read many times, but you get revelation on something, on what it's really saying, and it's like, oh, man, that's got a whole new meaning. We've got to look at this scripture this way because this is the center of our Bible. This is the center of history when Jesus came. It's that important. We've got to look at it with that importance. And today, today, uh, most of the people in this room, most of the people in this room have some type of social media <coughs> account. And most of the time with us, that's Facebook. Most people are on Facebook. And if you are on Facebook for any period of time, you're going to see what is called a viral video. And it's something that somebody made, it wasn't really probably professional, just somebody like you or me 
made a video that was so either entertaining or shocking or saddening or angering that it just absolutely has been watched by millions of people. And this happens daily. Um, a generation ago, the meaning of the word viral was totally different. It meant staying in bed, taking some medicine, or missing a fun event. And then, you know, later on, computer viruses added another shade of unlikability to that term viral. But suddenly there's this digital generation today that has jumped onto the scene using the word viral as a positive thing. It's a different use than we've ever seen before. And there's people around the country, around the world, that it's actually their job to create viral videos. They get paid for it. There's famous people that are just, they have an account on YouTube and they make it their job. They get earnings from getting more views on YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is. They got to get it to, with the video to blow up and they got to put out content and put, make viral videos and have sponsors to those. But Jesus didn't come to buy a TV ads and billboard space. Amen. He came with a message that would go viral without any of that. Yes. And it has. Yes. And it also says in the word that it's going to spread throughout all the earth. It's going to be told everywhere before he comes again. It really is going to go viral. But we've got a good start right now. In this room, we've got a virus going on. And every one of you got it. And we're trying to share it. We're trying to get it to other people because really, from my point of view, there's a lot of people sick out there that need this. They need to catch it. They need to get a hold of it. Amen. The gospel, the good news, has often been presented so badly that some people hardly even shrug at it. It's just something that everybody knows. Really, everybody knows what Jesus did today. I mean, you're not going to find many people that doesn't understand the story generally of what he did, that he came to earth, that he died for sins. People know that. And we put it on our bios in our social media account. We'll put a scripture on there or uh, I'm a Christian and I work at the bank. You know, it's included in there somewhere. We throw it in there. But really, do we understand and do we have a depth? Is there a depth of meaning of what Jesus did in our life? Do we know? Have we changed according to that? Has it really mattered so much that we've changed ourselves according to it? And we can't present the gospel in a boring way, folks. It's a big deal. It's a big thing. And it means everything to everybody. It's that important. And Jesus made people either jumping for joy happy or ready to kill him angry. It was a big deal. The gospel is powerful. It's a powerful thing. And we can't miss that. Those who have had an experience. Has anybody had an experience with Jesus in your life? Amen. Those who have had that and have a story to tell. You got to get it out. Let somebody know about it. Tell them. Share the story. And if you lack that grabbing story, that example of what's happened in your life, 
You gotta do like a viral marketer. You gotta take a risk. Step out and tell them what God's done in your life. Step out in faith for God. And you too can go viral for Him like many people have. This is what God desires. He wants us to be salt and light in the earth. He wants us to spread His message. We are the tool that He's chosen. Now if He wanted to, he could just give everybody the knowledge when they're born of exactly what he did, what they need to do, and accordance to that. He could give them that. But he didn't choose to do that. He chose you and me. He thought of us so highly. He's entrusted us to carry the gospel. Amen. Even on Christmas today, there's prophecy after prophecy in Scripture. The good news is according to the scriptures, the Bible says. That's talking about the Old Testament. There was prophecy after prophecy that Jesus would come. People knew it. They were aware of it. And a major part of that good news is found in the book of Psalms. And we're going to read a little bit of that today. The Hebrew scriptures are rich in prophecies about Jesus. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms include anticipation he's going to come there's going to be a savior jesus christ and some of these prophecies kind of seem obscure until you read into them but by the end of the old testament there's a clear theme that has that's come about there's going to be this is what the gospel was this is what was coming a genuine human being a person was going to enter the world scene they're going to be a descendant of adam abraham and david who would at the same time be the son of God. And he would come to deal once and for all with the sin problem that humanity had. And it had plagued everybody since Eden. He was going to come do the dirty work. This thing that we've dealt with for so long. People have struggled. Somebody's going to come. And they're not going to halfway deal with it. It's not going to be a part-time job. They're going to once and for all take care of sin. Jesus came and did the dirty work for you. Amen. He came and took care of it. Now you would call a plumber to do some dirty work if you needed a plumber at your house or maybe a cleaning agency to take care of a real nasty house. But there's no plumber and there's no cleaning agency that could come close to dealing with the dirty work that Jesus dealt with. Amen. They can't touch it. Nobody else could do anything about it. There wasn't a sacrifice anywhere else that could be made. There's not another person that could carry sins on their shoulders, but Jesus did it. That's he right. did the dirty work for you and me. The things that we couldn't deal with and take care of on our own. He's already took care of it. Amen. Micah, a prophet to Judah in the 8th century B.C. wrote this. This is Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This, this is interesting. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now look at, look at the middle of that scripture. Though thou be little, talking about Bethlehem, unimportant in the country, unimportant in the grand scheme of things, little, tiny, unimportant Bethlehem, 
Yet out of thee he shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Out of a place that just seemed unimportant to everybody in Bethlehem was going to come the ruler of Israel and the most important human being that has ever been. And just like God worked with Bethlehem, he'll work in the life of somebody here this morning who doesn't feel all that special in the grand scheme of things. And he'll fill them up with the Holy Ghost. And he'll give them some brand new value. Amen. And all of a sudden, out of a place to you, you don't seem very important to yourself in the grand scheme of everybody around you and what's going on in our world. God will put value in you. By His work, He'll change you and reform you and give you value. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. He'll raise up Himself. Christ with us. Emmanuel. But also He's with us in the Holy Ghost. That's right. He was with them physically then. In a manger, walking the streets, healing with people, healing people that needed uh, a touch and sickness. Today, we don't see him walking, but we feel his touch. And he is still God with us. Yes, Amen. Yes. I wonder if there's somebody in this room that you've been healed before. You could say, he's been God with me. Amen. Amen. Somebody, he's delivered you. And you could say, well, he's God with me. And I don't see him walking, but I feel his touch when he comes near. Amen. Ruth chapter 4. This is not the first time that Ephrata is mentioned in Scripture. When Boaz, David's great-grandfather, finalized his plan to marry Ruth, a woman of Moab, the witnesses said, The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Just six verses later, a short biography begins tracing the ancestry of Judah, which was the, the lineage of Jesus. It would come through Judah. From Pharaoh's to David through Boaz. And this would make Ruth David's Moabite great-grandmother. And due to his marriage with Ruth, Boaz would, the scripture says, prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. There's another statement that I find interesting. Now, this is prophecy. I told you we were going to get to Psalm. Psalm chapter 132 and verse 6. This is really interesting. This is prophecy before any of it ever happened. Okay? Before there was a manger, before there was a Mary and Joseph. This was all the way back in Psalms. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. What is this prophecy of? In today's vernacular. Ephrata. 
was the suburb area outside Bethlehem. So we're talking about Bethlehem, where he'd be born. And in this environment, the shepherds in the fields of the wood, it said, we found it in the fields of the wood, heard the news of a newborn Savior, Christ the Lord. And it says, we will go into his tabernacles. They went into his tabernacle or sanctuary where there was a manger and they worshipped him. Prophecy that he would come. Bethlehem. The house of bread is what Bethlehem is. And the city of David provided the point of entry where Jesus would come. The bread of life. What a shocker that Bethlehem, the house of bread, produces the bread of life. Amen. It's all been in his plan. Yes. Don't you know that city was named far, far before the bread of life came? It's all in the plan of God. God knows what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing in your life. Yes, he he set things up in order for you to get closer to him. He's made a pathway for you to walk to. And it's all in his plan. But we have free will today. Are we going to let the bread of life be produced in us? Are we going to let Jesus show up in our life? Are we going to be a tabernacle for him to show up in our own life? The bread of life. How could Matthew... Claim a prophecy that we read earlier given to Ahaz nearly 800 years earlier was fulfilled in the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. There's some people that take issue with prophecy and say, well, that's, that's so specific. How can that be you know, a prophecy that's linked to Jesus? It's so far out here to somebody else with Ahaz. Every time it leads back to Jesus. God offered a personal sign to Ahaz. A sign that would be meaningful to him in connection with God's promise. That Judah would not be conquered by the coalition between Israel and Syria. And when Ahaz refused the offer, the Lord turned his attention from Ahaz as an individual to the house of David. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David. Ahaz was a descendant of David. The term house of David include all of David's descendants. And he said, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The Hebrew word translated you is plural. Indicated it's not just for Ahaz, but it's for this whole house. It's for the entire house of David. And this sign is that a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. And the son's name would be called Emmanuel, which Matthew pointed out means God with us. And Isaiah 7 is not the only place in the book where we find a prophecy of a son who would be of the house of David who would be far more than a mere human. Isaiah also gave this startling prophecy. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know something that stands out in all of that? There have been 
governments, there have been kingdoms for years that have risen and they've fallen. There's some that have been considered the greatest of all time. The Roman Empire ruled so many areas. They'd go into an area and conquer. They'd steal. And they'd tell the people, you serve us now. There's governments in our world today that have risen. And now they're beginning to fall. America has risen. But someday it's going to fall under the hand of God. Amen. But you know, among all those governments, all those rulers, all of, this, all of these kingdoms, the scripture says of the increase of his government and peace, there's not going to be an end. Right. It's going to keep on growing and prospering. From the moment that he was born in that womb, the kingdom of Jesus began expanding and multiplying, and it's never going to stop. It's not going to stop. There's not a kingdom that's going to come against it that can harm it or slow it down or bring it down. The angels would announce His coming. As we saw in Psalm 132, the words, Lo, we heard of it at Ephratah, we found it in the fields of the wood, anticipated the visit of an angel to them shepherds who were abiding in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock in the night. And the Messiah would come from Ephrata. And as Psalm 132 looks ahead to that fulfillment, it connects that fulfillment with Ephrata, that is with Bethlehem. The statement, we found it in the fields of the woods, brings to mind Luke's scripture that said that the shepherds, the poor among Israel, were the first to discover Jesus and worship Him. Under the Old Testament, the ark was God's dwelling place, the Ark of the Covenant. And under the New Covenant, God tabernacles, the Scripture says, tabernacles or dwells among us in the incarnation. The word that's translated dwelt in John chapter 1 and verse 14 includes the meaning to abide or dwell in a tabernacle or a tent. And as sacred as it was, we talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody tries to catch it. When it's fallen, they touch it. And they're lost. How sacred that is. The Ark of the Covenant was only a shadow or a type of the presence of God that would take up residence among us one day. There would be a day where people would carry His presence, but it wasn't going to be a box. It wouldn't be gold-plated. There would be a day when people would be entrusted with carrying the presence of God everywhere that they went. And it wasn't going to be about, well, you know, we got to make sure that we house this thing right and all that. It was going to be how in my own life can I house the presence of God? How can I house it? What can I do with it? You remember we talked about David who was so, so troubled that he lived in this massive mansion, but he had put the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, out in a tent. Mm -hmm. Today, we've got a presence of God. It's the Holy Ghost. Yes. Can I have an amen this morning? Amen. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, which cannot be seen, but I believe it's present with us even this yes. morning in this room, amen. is looking for a place that we will house it. It's looking for a soul, a life 
that will allow it to be housed. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to put it out in a tent. I want to make it first, foremost, most important. I want to give it the best place in my life. I want to give it a great place to stay. My question to you this morning is, have you put the presence of God out in a tent somewhere? Come on. Could we afford to move up the importance of God and His presence in our life? Maybe could we say, Lord, we want to move you to a better place in our priorities. Could we say that today? Maybe, maybe we need to make a change at where we're housing Him, where we prioritize God in our life. And the Savior would then be born. The message of the angel of the Lord to the shepherds included these words, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And although the word Savior does not appear in Matthew, the same angel who spoke to the shepherds appeared to Joseph in a dream with words that did identify him as the Savior. This name, Jesus, is an important name. And I wish I had Brother Thomas with us this morning because he loves to preach on the name Jesus. Amen. Every time you hear him talk, he's going to say something about the name of Jesus. That's right. Amen. He loves it. I love the name Jesus. But it's not just because it's like a cliche or we got to say it because we're here in the church. I'm trying to get past that this morning. There's some deep meaning to this. Yes. Yes, just like there is a baby being born in a manger. It's not just a baby in a manger. It's the most important. Yes, Lord. In an inn that may have been the equivalent of a Motel 6 today, it was the most important room that there was in the world. This name, Jesus, means Yahweh Savior. It can be translated, Yahweh will save, and Yahweh is Savior. Amen. The last four letters of the Greek form of the Messiah's name, Seuss, that's not Dr. Seuss, but Seuss, are translated from a form of the Hebrew Yasha, which refers to salvation or deliverance. And because of that, the name Jesus literally means he is Savior or he will save. Amen. So when you say the name Jesus, you're talking about the one that saves. Yes. Amen. Not just saved, not just did a thing back then, but he saves today. Yes, amen. And the power hasn't been lost out and diminished. And many people in various language groups of the world have received some form of the name Jesus, but the Savior is the only person to ever receive the name by divine appointment. Right. There's people in our world, amen, that their name is Jesus, but that name was given to them by somebody. Jesus was given by a divine appointment. Yes. This is going to be his name. He's going to save, amen. He's the only person to have that name. The word Savior appears, this, this is very interesting, 24 times in the New Testament. In eight cases, out of those 24 times, God is identified as Savior. 
I want to let that sink in for a minute. Who are we talking about here? Eight of the 24 times in the New Testament, it says that God is Savior. The only way that God could be Savior is if He was Jesus Himself. Amen. And it was. And 14 references, the Savior is identified as Jesus or Christ. And in one case each, the Savior is referred to as Lord and as Son. Amen. The King James Version of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 presents an interesting read because several verses identify the Savior as God, while most refer to the Savior as Jesus or the Christ. And let's make no mistake this morning. The word does not contradict itself. That's right. God is not going to put a scripture out there that says that he is the Savior. If he was not manifested in flesh as Jesus himself. And did the work on his own. Now, he could have, if he wanted to, sent somebody else. But God came down from his throne and took on flesh and lived in sin around this world like you and I do, suffered like temptations, sicknesses, all the things we deal with in the middle of the dirty work, the grind that he's never had to be in because he's perfect. But he came down and dealt with it. And thank God he did it on his own. It makes me love God more yes. that he came down and did it himself. Yes. Amen. Doesn't that mean more to you than God on a committee of three people, per se? And he tells one of them, I'm not going to do it, so I'm going to need you to go down there today and die for the sins of many. No, there wasn't another person. He said, I'll do it. I've got all power anyway. I'll take care of the sins of many. Amen. And so the scripture says, Simon Peter, a servant of the, and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Most translations follow the Greek text with even more precision. For example, uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is your Savior today. Amen. It wasn't a separate person. Come on. It was God. He did it on his own. Jesus Christ was his name. He's our Savior. And since Jesus is God, there's no contradiction in these verses. The scripture doesn't contradict itself. For there to be any contradiction, there would have to be verses in our Bible that said things like, God was not the Savior, or Jesus is not our Savior, or Jesus is not God. But I challenge you this morning, go look through your Bible. You'll never find it. It's never going to say that. It does, however, say our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Now, we've got a few more minutes this morning, but in closing, I want, to, I want to give you the perfect picture. If somebody were to ask you, what is the gospel? What does it mean? 
What, what is the real definition? When somebody says the gospel, what do they actually mean? Some people question the content of the gospel, but Paul, the apostle, explained it very clearly. He wrote, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And as we keep reading, we discover the gospel, which means the good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. That's what we're celebrating this season, right? It's the good news. It's not the gifts. It's not Nat King Cole singing a good song, okay? All that's nice. But we're talking about good news. I want to celebrate it for the right thing. The gospel, which means good news, consists of three truths that first appeared in the Old Testament. The first aspect of the gospel, three parts, is that Jesus died for our sins. And this is good news because the problem's been solved. The sin problem's been solved. The death of Jesus for our sins is a theme that ran throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And for the entire sacrificial system of the law of Moses, you know, we talked about how they'd go into the temple and they'd have to make sacrifice after sacrifice. All those things they had to constantly keep doing, but they were pointing to one sacrifice, one time that was going to be made one day. Every one of those was pointing toward Jesus. It was prophecy. It was symbolic. And in addition, the prophets foretold the death of the Messiah as an offering for sin. Isaiah chapter 53 says this, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's Old Testament talking Jesus right there. The first thing, he died. The second thing is that he was buried. The burial of Jesus was proof of his death. He did not merely faint or swoon. It was not a bad sickness. He wasn't harmed for a period of time. But he actually died and was buried in a tomb. And the scriptures anticipated his burial. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You want to see how powerful prophecy in the Bible is. When it says that, he was buried in the grave with the rich at his death. We know the scripture says there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus and laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. He would die with rich men. He would be buried with a rich man. And the third part of it all, after that he was buried, Jesus rose again. On the day of Pentecost, 
Peter quoted Psalm chapter 16. And he affirmed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he would refer to Jonah. You know that even Jonah, the story of Jonah, that we think of a separate story, was prophecy of Jesus. Be swallowed up in a whale, a fish. And he'd be resurrected from that fish. It's all pointing to Jesus. Every bit of it was. The whole Old Testament. Even from Genesis. After Adam and Eve had fallen. You go back and read it. There's prophecy from God himself. Pointing to the Savior. He'd be raised on a cross. Golgotha. Bruises healed. It's all pointing to Jesus. And today, it's important because the gospel applies to us. You want to know what salvation is. The gospel's clear. Jesus died. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. Turn from your sins. It's a 180 degree turnaround is what that means. You leave it behind on the altar with God. Lord, I'm, I'm changing. I'm not going to be that anymore. And you die out to those sins and those things you used to do. The old man. The second thing. Jesus was buried. we got to go down in baptism. And not just in baptism of any kind, but in Jesus' name. It was Him that was buried. We've got to go down in His name. And the third thing, this is the gospel. He rose again. We've got to be raised to life in the Holy Ghost. Raised to life in the Holy Ghost. And what is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? The Bible is very clear. I'm not just spewing things out to you today. This is Scripture. The evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost was the speaking in another tongue. Tongues of a language which you do not know. There's a song that I'm going to share the words with you this morning. It's a newer song, but it carries such weight in the words of it, especially this morning. I want you to hear the words and think about the gospel when I read it to you. It's a song by Christian Stanfield called Glorious Day. It says, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but I was not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. And you called my name. Then I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. The bridge says, I needed rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future now. My eyes are open.
Because when you called my name, I ran out of that grave. Ladies and gentlemen, you just don't need to be baptized today. God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. You don't just go down into the grave and be buried, but God will raise you up in newness of life. Somebody with the Holy Ghost, y'all just wave your hand right now. It's not foolishness. It's not gibberish. It's the infilling of God. It's Emmanuel, God with us, is what it is. He was with them back then in a manger walking the streets. But today He's with us in His Spirit. And I feel the Holy Ghost right now, even in this room. And He's reaching out. He's wondering if somebody will reach back and touch Him. He's saying, I'm still Emmanuel. I'm still with you. I haven't changed. I've just got a new tabernacle that I want to feel in your life. Amen. Can we stand together this morning? Maybe you weren't expecting. Maybe, maybe you were just expecting me to explain a little bit on what happened in Bethlehem one day. But I could explain to you all kind of things all day. We could bring in here the greatest theologian in the world to expound on Scripture. And I could sit dumbfounded because I'm no theologian. But I can tell you this, there's nothing that man could do that's going to help anybody like experiencing yes. Emmanuel, God with us, Amen. can do for you. Yes. And I'm just telling you this morning, you feel like you're in a grave. You feel like you're in a place where you're bound by sin. You're bound by the things you deal with. You don't have to deal with that. God can have you come running out of that grave in newness of life. And everything can change. It don't have to be the way it is. If you allow God to change it. Can we lift our hands in this room right now? Emmanuel is here. God with us. He's here. He's here. He's here.